and uh, would like to turn your attention to Ezekiel chapter 6, verses 2 through 7. And uh, I want to talk about this topic. Uh, when will you know? When will you know? And I'm going to read Ezekiel again, chapter 6, verses 2 through 7. <clears throat> Son of man, set thy face toward the mountains of Israel, and prophesy against them. And say, You mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God to the mountains, and to the hills, to the rivers, and to the valleys. Behold, I even I will bring a sword upon you, and I will destroy your high places, and your altars shall be desolate, and your images shall be broken, and I will cast down your slain men before your idols. And I will lay the dead carcasses of the children of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones round about your altars. In all your dwelling places the cities shall be laid waste, and the high places shall be desolate, that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate, and your idols may be broken and cease, and your images may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. <clears throat> and the slain shall fall in the midst of you, and ye shall know... That I am the Lord. And verse 7 is where I'm taking uh, the subject from. And I would like to share with you uh, my thoughts on this. It was around 593 BC. And God had been reaching for Israel for so many generations. To bring them back to the true and faithful worship of the Lord. They were very far from Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. No, they were practicing idolatry, and with their idolatry they were practicing all manner of crimes against uh, God and against each other. But God would act, and God had intention and purpose in acting. So this is what we have recorded in the prophets, God's response to what they were doing and to what they weren't doing. He stated his purpose that ye shall know that I am the Lord. And this isn't the first time in the Bible where God states, ye shall know that I am the Lord. In fact, it's stated many other times, particularly in the book of Ezekiel many times. The other uh, standout place in the Bible, if you'd like to look it up, is in uh, the book of Exodus. But there's other places it occurs as well. So this is apparently something that God is is intent on and desires to make happen. He wants people to know that he is the Lord and he acts to reveal himself. Before this, in the days of the Exodus, when the Hebrews were in bondage to the Egyptians, the Bible shows us uh, the situation that they were in. And I invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 9, uh, but excuse me, chapter 7, verses 2 through 5. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, and he that he send to the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. 
So God was revealing something about himself as he was revealing himself. He was revealing to them that he was the God of the Hebrews, not just anybody or anything that would claim to be God, not a made up God, but a real and genuine personal God with a real character. And so he was showing them that he sent the prophets, Moses and Aaron. He was showing them that he sent them to Egypt, that he was sending them with miracles. He was showing them that his pronouncements would come to pass. He was showing them that he had power over even the hearts of men and that God does miracles. And he was showing them that his desire was to set people free. This is God's self-revelation. So to know God is to know an all-powerful, entirely holy, and yet merciful God, a merciful person. The opposition to God, the Lord, in Egypt were other gods. Pharaoh himself was worshipped as a god. And every one of the ten plagues that was sent upon the Egyptian was a direct... Uh, contest with a fake god whether it be the frog god believe it or not they had a frog god people have dumb gods huh or the nile god or the fly god or the locust god all of these plagues were against the gods that the egyptians worshiped the gods in other words that the egyptians said gave them blessings and claimed were in great power over their lives and over their circumstances. But God did these things against the, the false gods of Egypt and judged them because before we establish who God is, we need to establish who God isn't. And that's what he was doing with them. There is an ages-long controversy between God and man over the identity of God over his character and over his nature. And even today, Satan is slandering God institutionally, individually. He is attempting to make people believe that God is different than he, than he really is. So he told Adam and Eve in the garden at the very beginning, our first parents, he told them that if they ate of the forbidden fruit, that they would be as God's. In acting out disobedience, then Adam and Eve cut themselves and us and humanity free from the tether of obedience and from the blessings that come from it. And humanity has drifted into the swamp of despair and sin. It hasn't been a good effect. Beware of anybody or anything that promotes you to being like God. Beware of even fake Christianity that tries to claim that you have powers that you simply don't have. I believe in prayer. I believe that God answers prayer. But prayer is answered in the name of Jesus because of his purity, because of his power. It's not because of our own holiness, said the apostles. Not because of our own power, said the apostles, that we're able to do miracles. But it was by the name of Jesus. If we really understood the name of Jesus, we would understand that it is a refutation of our own goodness and power, but it's a statement of the goodness and the power of God. Amen. And so a lot of people want to claim religions and join into religions that give them powers or claim they have powers that they don't have. They want to be little gods. They want to have more authority, more control. Maybe they'll be a part of God or a little God. 
A lot of the New Age movement is about being a little God or a part of God. But beware of your ego because it's your own ego that can make you and lead you into transgressing God's will and his boundaries and attempting to establish your own boundaries. You may be free for a time to do that, but it won't end well. And you'll find out what the Lord told the children of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 6. You'll find out that I'm God. My question is, when, when will you find out? When you deny God and ignore God, or if you perhaps reinvent God, or reinvent the ways of God, or disobey God, you're in so many words defying God. And it can't be anything other than, con than a contest. The contest is on. It's something that we were born into. It's existed before you came along. But it started at the very beginning of humanity, and it's been ongoing. You may ask the question, and maybe you don't recognize. In defiance, humanity asks, well, why doesn't God just simply appear to us? Show us his great power. Show us that he is God. Out outright, openly, and something that nobody could refute. Why doesn't he at least appear on television? Why doesn't he do a miracle to smite down wicked people in the midst of their doing something evil? Why doesn't he just bring a huge appearance to us? And I will tell you that he will do all of that. But he's got another agenda right now. Remember, humanity set themselves up as God, and they're still doing that. So before he can show that he is God, he has to show us that we're not God. In the meantime, then, he is proving or letting our own folly prove who isn't God. And we fail. And we have failed in every category of what God is to be what the Lord is. There's no one like the Lord. Amen. Ironically, we blame God for our failures in history. I don't want to bring you down as an individual, but I want to help you to understand something. Because in knowing our own weakness, we begin to understand the greatness of the mercy and the power of God. He is the I am. The Lord, all capitals, means he is. If you turn the grammar around, it was a reflection of his own self-revelation. He said, this is my name and my memorial for all generations. I am. Nobody made him. Nobody needs to empower him. He doesn't have a fuel tank that needs to be filled up. Our prayers don't make him any stronger. They could never weaken him. So God is self-existent. He always has been. He always will be. He's the uncaused cause of everything else. God is then all-powerful. In the very definition of then God, he owns everything. All souls are his. Everything in the universe belongs to him. Anything trying to not submit to him and to recognize him is woefully doomed. He is all-knowing, and he is omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere. There's no way to escape from him. He is all-holy, and thankfully, he's all-good. He's not a vengeful God. People that think they need to escape from God, I don't believe that they'd do that if they really believed God. They really believed and understood the message. If we understood the gospel... I think that the real response would be to run to him. But this is just like what Jesus said. If they, if they don't believe, that would be their damnation. That would be their condemnation. 
I urge you to believe the gospel because he's all righteous, but he's all just. And he wants you to know, when will you know the Lord? Compare God to us. We are all mere offspring of created beings, fallen created beings who passed on their sinful nature to us. We're madly searching for immortality without God while we seem seemingly the majority of us reject God's gift of immortality on God's terms. So we possess great abilities. We can do a lot of things. We can go to the moon. We can study the stars and we can go to the depths of the ocean and try to figure out what's there, although we really don't even having scratched the surface. And yet... In all the abilities that we have, we are still limited. And too often our abilities are used for selfishness and for evil. Sometimes I feel like we know enough to just get arrogant, but not enough beyond that to become humble. And so we seek mobility and influence through travel and technology and... uh We want to be influential and stand out before other mortals, but they are just mortals. Yet so many people so renowned now will be forgotten in time and certainly in eternity. The word of God declares that uh, only he that does the will of God will abide forever. The Lord wants us to know that he is the Lord. He's the beginning of all. He's the end of all. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. In all our efforts, falling so far short of God's pure moral goodness, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's sad sometimes when we compare God to ourselves. I'm stirred when I consider the story of the preacher that had his church burned down and he went home to get a gun so he could shoot the perpetrators that burned his church down. He realized how far away he was and wrote down a song. I've got a long way to go to be like Jesus, to be like my Lord. There's nobody like Jesus. And yet here we are groping for significance outside of his plan for Godhood, Without and instead of him, sometimes only using him, sadly, as a means of promoting our own agenda. Trying to be some great person of God or whatever. So people are claiming their assertion to deity. Maybe not complete deity. Maybe if I'm just on the right hand of God, that would be enough. That's what the apostles did. That was offensive to the Lord. They want to be in absolute control. They want to claim that they're good and they're just when confronted with whether they lie, confronted with whether they have ever stolen, confronted with whatever they've lusted, they fall far short of even obeying the commandments of the Lord. So we can somehow, I think we recognize that we must dethrone the real God for us to be able to have what we think we want in life. But I'm telling you tonight, I don't think you really want what you think you want. Oh, that we could know him. When will we get to know God? 
We want to be important. We consider God, though, impertinent. So a lot of humanity is considering Christianity as merely a tribal religion or cult, a human religion, and God to be impertinent to the real world and making somehow religion, Christianity in particular, making the world worse. At the least, he's irrelevant and religion is irrelevant. To which God says, you shall know that I am God. So in Egypt, God stated that he was to be known as he judged the Egyptians in Exodus chapter 7. He said later when he turned their Nile to blood that he would be known amongst the Egyptians by letting the frog plague hit at whatever time Pharaoh planned because God can do anything at any time and doesn't need any circumstance or condition to make it happen. He doesn't need to find the Sea of Reeds to be able to to part the the Red Sea. He doesn't need to go at a certain time of the year when the Jordan River is low to be able to have the children of Israel pass over. He doesn't need any help or assistance from anybody. He is the Lord. His miracles are genuine. They're not fabricated. They're not exaggerated. They're awesome and powerful. But they're certainly not orchestrated by us either. So God did this in his time, in his way, and used his people. Moses didn't just wake up some day and say, I think I'll be a man of God. I'll go and pursue God and be something important and significant to the world. But God called him when he was broken on the backside of the desert, probably only considering that he would spend the rest of his life tending his father-in-law, Jethro's sheep. Because God can use that which is broken. But God let the plague hit of the frogs and he also let the plagues trouble the hearts of the Egyptians. He let it get to them. He knew that it would get to them. He intended for it to get to them, to get their attention. When will we know him? He let them know that he was God by stopping the plague of the hail. The plague that didn't affect the Hebrews because he was the God of the Hebrews. He let them know that he was God. In that when these things that he did to the Egyptians would be rehearsed to the generations, there would be the availability, the opportunity for someone to look into the pages of scripture and to look at the events, see what God had done in the past and recognize his great power. Look at the historical merits of the claims that are made and recognize the actual historicity of the things that God has done. Yes, there was an exodus. Yes, there was a garden of Eden. Yes, there was a great flood on the earth. Yes, there was a Calvary. It all happened that you may know that he is God. And so Satan's plan is to challenge all of these things. It's up to you to see at this point whether these things are true or not. You can search the scriptures. You can look for historical evidences. You can check out the arguments for and against. But ultimately, he will prove to every heart that he is God. Just when will you know? You will know someday. So he disproved that Pharaoh and his army had great power over the Hebrews when they came to accost them and enslave them again at the edge of the Red Sea. And God let the 
Hebrews pass over on dry ground, but he caused Pharaoh and his armies to be drowned in that Red Sea. Think about it. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 9, verse 16, The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. But the wicked, however, the wicked is snared in the work of his hands. When will you know that the Lord is God? You can see all the major movements of human history, and I wish you could just sit back for a moment and see the net effect of all of them and see the net impotence and the tragedy in so many of them. You think about atheism and its bitter fruits, easily tied to the mass murders in Russia, of Nazi Germany, of abortion, of Pol Pot, of all the tragedy and the in Mao's revolution. You can see the nationalism of the arrogance of humanity trying to claim significance merely because of what country they're from. You can see the bitter fruit of communism and false religion and I have to admit denominationalism when people are claiming significance for differences that aren't significant and things that very much are important they write off as unimportant. You know, Jesus really did say that except a man be born again, he will not see or enter the kingdom of God. Jesus really did say that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus really did say, he that believeth on me as the scriptures has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake ye of the spirit, you need the Holy Ghost. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Jesus is a liar. And when we challenge the words of Jesus, aren't we doing the same time-tested, failed method of all humanity to try to upstage God, and defy Him? If you're a religionist and you're rejecting these truths, I would tell you, someday you'll know He's, he's the Lord. And His words is, are the words that's going to stand, not yours, not your opinions, not your crowd, not your theologian, not your institution, not your books or your commentaries. When will we know that he is the Lord? So we can see that the, 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 the one common thread, the rebellion, the human determinism, the pride of humanity, that we want to do things our own way and we want to have kudos for doing our own way. We want to be heroes of rebellion when we do things our own way. And it always ends up in the same dead end. Death. Death is that dead end. Where's Karl Marx today? Where's Charles Darwin today? All of the great leaders, all the great shakers and movers of history. They all die. That's the one equalizer. And God said in our text that when they die, even in their rebellion, that then when God judged them, then they would know, they would have to admit that he is God. That's what our text is telling us. So in the ambition for dominance, <laughs> we have the one thing that we want to avoid the most, death, and we, we inflict that on each other. Anything to prove our superiority, to reach out for some significance that really only proves that we're demons in our hearts. 
And then we demonize each other because we don't love. Well, what a difference Jesus was. Because he loved his enemies. He said from that cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. God in his love and his mercy suffered their ill manners in the wilderness, suffered the children of Israel to do so much evil for so many years, allowed the ambition of the apostles has allowed human history to continue till that time to bring the gospel message to us. What will you do with it? When will you know that he is God? Seems that since we don't believe what God says outright, that we are relegated to having to learn the hard way, experientially. We're like the dumb thug that only understands being thunked on the head have to have a two by four between the eyes or whatever. So he warns us. He doesn't want to do that to us. He foretells our doom if we don't follow him. And that's what the record of the Old Testament is. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the Jewish people are in any way worse than the rest of humanity. Don't kid yourself. If if any nation, any group of people would have been in the same circumstance, they would have been just as bad or worse. It's not the point. It's the point that we're in a long-standing rebellion and the only answer is to submit ourselves to the Lord, to fall on our knees. He said, Jesus said, that he was a stone and, and everyone that would fall on that stone would be broken, but on everyone it would fall, it would grind to powder. We have a choice then to be broken before God, to submit to God. In a time like this, when so many people's world is turned upside down, can I encourage you to submit to God? Can I encourage you to give up on sin? Can I encourage you to stop looking over your shoulder and seeing what everybody else is doing before you figure out what's right? Why does your neighbor know better than God? Why does your church know better than God? Why does your family know better than God? Get in the word of God at this time. Great time to study the Bible. Great time to develop a prayer life. Great time to find true peace. And a lot of people, honestly, they didn't have peace before now anyway. And the irony is a lot of people that already know the Lord have great peace. Great peace, the Bible says, that they that love thy law, nothing shall offend them. So he warns us, and in Ezekiel alone, God said that he would be known when he punished the Israelites' sin, when he proved their idols weren't gods, that they couldn't invent or choose who God is because God really is, and their invention then couldn't be God. When he judged their false prophets, when he showed his judgment on evil, when he showed their judgment on them as a nation, and when he showed judgment on the other nations, they would know See, don't confuse the long-suffering of God with impotence or unconcern. God hates sin because sin is not good for us. And sin is a front to his good, loving character. He will judge. So God can judge nations, but God can also judge individuals to bring them to a revelation. I'm reminded of Nebuchadnezzar that said, is not this Babylon that I've created for my own glory? He had been warned not to do that. He'd been warned that he needed to cut off his evil deeds by righteousness and admit to the Lord. But 
He had to go through the seven years of being like an animal before his reason would return and lift his eyes towards heaven and recognize. There's so much peace in knowing that there is a God in control. It's not worth it to cash him in to sin for a short season, especially since the wages of sin is death. But God and nations, excuse me, God would let nations and individuals know who he is. And God would let other nations be judged when they attacked his people. Isaiah uh, chapter 46, starting at verse 8, is an interesting passage for us. I think it's pertinent to what I'm talking about. I'll start at verse 8 instead. It says, remember this and show yourselves men. Uh, bring the, it again to your mind, O ye transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else I am God and there is none like me by the way it doesn't say none like us it says declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I've spoken it. I also will bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. God is telling us here that his prophecies aren't because he's able to predict the future or just see what will happen. God is telling us that he determines the future, that he makes it happen. If he was less than that then he wouldn't be God. If he was just merely knowing the future, he'd be merely a, a potent fortune teller. But time itself would be a bigger God than God. But if he's the Lord that inhabits eternity and determines what happens in eternity, then he is indeed God. But he goes on. He says, hearken unto me, you stout-hearted that are far from righteousness. And I think this could apply to us all over the world. He says, I bring near my righteousness. It shall not be far off and my salvation shall not tarry. And I will place my salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. His purpose is stand and he'll bring it to pass, but he'll bring it to pass particularly in Zion. That's Jerusalem. Zion means parched place. And it's, Concerning the religiosity of the Jews, it was indeed a parched place. God would bring living waters to that place. God would bring life to that place. God would bring salvation to that place when he walked into that place on his own two feet in the man, Jesus Christ. When he went there to teach and to preach, the kingdom of heaven was at hand. When he went there to teach us and to be an example of how to be. When he went there to stir up the antagonism of those that were supplanting God and his truth with their pretended strict monotheism, the Pharisees and the scribes, when he came to become our salvation. You see, the I am of the Old Testament 
is Jesus in the new. The Bible says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is Yeshua or Yahashua. It is a compound of the Old Testament name that God said he would always have, the I Am. So it's saying the I Am is our Savior. He brings his righteousness because no man could bring us salvation. When will you know that he is God? Ezekiel sixteen sixty through 62 says this, Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee, speaking to the Jewish people, in the days of thy youth, and I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. He was going to give them a different deal, a different promise, something that they couldn't, couldn't uh, have taken away, something that would endure forever, something that wouldn't be so weakened by human pride and human sinful tendencies and the iniquity, the perversity of our human nature, but an everlasting covenant. Then he says in verse 61, Then shalt thou remember thy ways and be ashamed when thou shalt re receive thy sisters, thine elder and thy younger, and I will give them unto thee for daughters, but not by thy covenant. And I will establish my covenant with thee, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. When will this happen? When Israel turns to the Lord, when they recognize Jesus is the Jehovah of the Old Testament, He's the Messiah that their old rabbis used to admit that the Messiah would be a man, that the Messiah would be God as well. But later when they were accosted with this reality by Christianity, they had to deny that they ever claimed that. But the story of humanity is then history. His story, how he chooses to reveal himself and reveal to us how much we desperately need him. You need him. I need him. Everybody needs him. Everybody needs Jesus. He made this world and reveals himself to us in this world. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows his handiwork. The Bible shows us in the book of Romans that the invisible things of God are clearly seen by the things which are made. And he reveals himself to us in his prophecies and the prophets and the things that they said and they did. He reveals himself into the, in the amazing fulfillment of the prophecies of Jesus Christ, which are so easily provable that they predated him. There's no way that they could just be a happenstance of, uh, of coincidence. He reveals himself and he says these things beforehand so that we can know that he is God. So the his story is Jesus' story. And Jesus said this amazing thing in John seventeen three when he prayed. He said, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. How many gods? Three, two, a million? No, he says that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. In knowing Jesus Christ, we are knowing that Jesus said, I and my Father are one. In knowing Jesus Christ, we are knowing that he is Emmanuel, God with us. In knowing Jesus Christ, we are knowing that he is the mighty God, the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. In knowing Jesus Christ, we are knowing that before Abraham was, he said, I am. In knowing him, we are knowing according to the book of Revelation, 
He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Almighty. When will we know? Why wouldn't we want to know? What madness of depravity would make us choose any other God than the real God? Totally perfect, totally pure, totally merciful, totally saving, able to save to the uttermost them that come unto God by him. So gracious that he would say he looked through heaven and earth and he couldn't find an intercessor. So he took on the breastplate of righteousness and was shod and came down to earth to save us. He took on human flesh. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world and received up into glory. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When will you know him? Don't claim to know Jesus and say that he's merely an angel. Don't claim to know Jesus and say he's Jehovah Junior or Jehovah the Second. Don't claim to know Jesus and say that he is just an enlightened person. That's not what he said. He didn't allow for that. He claimed to be God. And he is. And he went to a cross. And he knew that he would because he, he made it happen. He said that he would do it in Isaiah chapter 53. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. By his stripes were healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for our, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. This Jesus, this God in human flesh, the gospel declares unto us, he was the only sinless sacrifice that died for us. And so he revealed himself to us amazingly right in accord with our text. He revealed himself to us in his true nature and character in his death. The one thing that we avoid, the one stopping point that shows that we're not God, that shows that he is. He was revealed according to Paul to be the son of God, human and divine, the son of God by the resurrection the resurrection proved the case because he conquered death. But in the death, he showed us the nature of his character and of his love. There could be no greater love than that. No human being, no collection of human beings, no collected morality. If you could gather together all of the goodness of humanity and put it in a basket, it would be a tiny thimble compared to a universe of God's love. The Bible talks about the love of God it's past finding out. You can't know it. It's like walking to the edge of the ocean and tasting just a bit of that water and acting like you know it when you realize that there's no way you could even get a mile out without just drowning in it. When will we know? When will we know? We know him in his death, amazingly. What a strange statement scripture has for us there that people would know him. That's a statement though that there's life after death, isn't it? It's a statement that he would judge sin and he did just what he said he'd do. But the people that know that he's God now, they can avoid eternal death 
while they embrace a temporal death. Meaning this, when you go down in the waters of baptism, you are taking on the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus for yourself. The Bible tells us clearly this in Romans chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 2 where we're buried with him by baptism into death. So that affinity, that identification with Jesus through what he did for us is actually our knowing the Lord. Don't don't kid yourself, someone that would reject this. It's hard to argue that they know the Lord. It's hard to argue that someone that hasn't received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, Christ in us, the hope of glory, knows the Lord. The Lord is known in the Holy Ghost We know things because of the Holy Spirit. When will you know the Lord? Have you been baptized in Jesus' name? Have you prayed that God would give you the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Have you decided to live like the Apostle Paul said? I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are you just playing religion, going along, having a feel-good time? It's a sad thing sometimes when I think about, I believe it's sincere worship. People in churches that will worship and talk about the wonderful goodness of God. And, and just, I have friends and they tell me about it. And I think, oh, but won't you listen to the real and full gospel? Because what a shame it will be when you stand before God and he'll say, depart from me. And you'll, that will be the, the last time you'll ever experience that glory. When will we know? We'll wait too long to know. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 echoes what our attitude ought to be. Paul says, that I may know him and the power of of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death instead of seeing hardship for the Christian instead of seeing hardship as a way that God is punishing you as long as you've repented of your sin he forgives you but maybe what you should do is say this is an opportunity to fellowship with the sufferings of Christ Now I understand what Jesus went through. I remember hearing the story of a missionary as he was falsely accused and he was actually taken. He was a missionary to Sierra Leone and he was actually charged with committing crimes and theft. And it was actually the man that charged him what was guilty of it. And the man got a whole group of his friends together and they joined in this rebellion against the man of God that had come to their nation to try to win them to God. And and as he was pronounced guilty and as they rejoiced and as they uh, the enemies his enemies rejoiced and and uh and and triumphed over him unjustly he realized oh this is what they did to Jesus too that i may know him paul said that i may know him thank the lord that he is so good that it's a wonderful thing to know him through the word We probably don't need to know all the things we know that we study, that we learn about. You probably don't need to know everything everybody ate for dinner. 
according to Facebook. You probably don't really need to know about the latest pranks on YouTube. You probably definitely don't need to know all the garbage that Hollywood's putting out, people. But you need to know him. Because someday we won't stand before an NBA ball player. We won't stand before a tribunal of the elite, important people of this world. Bill Gates will not be my judge or yours. It won't be a Sanhedrin council, neither will it be a church council that will judge us. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, understanding that Christ then is God. God had said in the Old Testament, I've sworn by myself that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. But Paul tells us in the book of Philippians that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To know him then, to know him is the privilege of the children of God that recognize the real character of God, that really believe in him. To really know he does have our best interests in mind. To know that his way is the right way. That his life is the right life. To know him then is to follow after him. To know him then is to be willing to be crucified with him. To say no to sin. To mortify our members which are upon the earth. To know him is to be alive in him. To love like him. To do like him. To pray like him. To rejoice in good things like him. To fellowship him. To walk with him. To know him is to know his word, to know him, is to know his heartbeat, to know him, is to look forward for his soon return so that we shall know him forever. I read this morning in First John, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that we shall see him know that we should, but we shall know him for we shall see him as he is we're we're going to know him personally i've never met jesus in the flesh i've never seen him people talk about seeing the lord in visions i can't help but feel jealous i'm glad they had it happen i'd love to have it happen but someday i'm going to see him and i already will recognize him do you know him when will you know him? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I pray, God, that those that are your saints, already knowing you, would be encouraged to continue to recognize the cosmic battle that's taking place, to not take it personally when they're hated for your name's sake, God, to recognize this is not their warfare. They're really just, just somebody in a warfare that is against you, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd encourage them. And those that don't really know you, I pray, God, that they would recognize, that they would do the obvious logical thing and seek you. Because your word says that when we seek you, we will find you and we search with all of our hearts. That we can't just rely on a religious program, a, a, a show that's put on by talented musicians and eloquent preachers, God. But we must know you ourselves. God, show some people that they need to get down to business and to shed the things of the flesh and of the world that are tearing them away from you, the things that grieve their hearts and yours, that vex their righteous souls, God. 
Help them to be ready with their wedding garment on for your soon return, white, pressed, and unwrinkled, ready for the holy God, so that they can appear before you without spot, with great joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I encourage you to read your Bible. I encourage you to pray. I encourage you to tell somebody about Jesus. I want to encourage you to live the life and to get to know him better, to take this time, take this opportunity to get down to business. Don't wait for somebody else to be the arbiter, the, the, the gatekeeper of your salvation. Turn to Jesus. And uh, I encourage you also to continue to look at these uh, posts. If you can, give us some feedback. Uh, tell us what uh, you like about these posts, uh, uh, these live streams and these other things. And tell us what would be beneficial to help you out. We'd love to talk about things of God that you might be interested in. But for now, I would tell you, have a good week. God bless you. We're going to get through this. God's still on the throne.